We left off a couple weeks ago in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and uh, I want to kind of get back to that. We're hoping to finish chapter 3 tonight, um, just the last few verses there of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses uh, 16 through 23. But before we get there, um, let's turn to John chapter 17. The title of tonight's sermon is Three in One. The Bible doesn't talk about the Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but it's throughout the Bible. The Spirit, the Father, and the Son. The three in one. And from all eternity past, they were in perfect unity and perfect agreement. And they still are today. And they were working out the plan of salvation, the plan of history, God's sovereignty sovereignty through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we mention that tonight because in 1 Corinthians, as we've seen from the very beginning, uh, Paul, an apostle, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, uh, to the church of God, the church of God, the church that is those that are redeemed, that have been justified by faith, that have been declared holy and righteous, receiving that that Christ is, by simple faith in him, the church of God at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart, called, chosen. It says saints by calling. You know, we went through that a while back. You don't need anybody to declare you to be a saint in this world. God has justified you and you are a saint today if you have trusted Christ as your savior. Part of the church of God, saints, he calls them that here in the very beginning in 1 Corinthians. And he thanks God always for them and for the grace which God has given to them in Christ Jesus. In everything, they were enriched in him, in Christ, in all speech and all knowledge. Uh, God is at work in their midst, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in them. Or in you, he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of these things he says about these people at Corinth, and yet they had a problem. Disunity. Because we saw early on that Paul says that he's heard from Chloe's people that some say they're of Paul, some say they're of Apollos, and some say they're of Cephas. And some say, oh, I'm just of Christ. And there is a division and a disunity within the church, and that should not be. Because... The founding of the church, the foundation of the church, which is Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, are in perfect unity. And don't you think his people should be in unity? Not perfect. We'll never be perfect until eternity. But we should be in unity and like-mindedness, getting along with one another and loving one another. Not factions developing. Oh, I'm of Paul. Oh, I'm of this preacher. We see that in our world today. Let's read. I kind of got carried away there a little bit, but let's read in John chapter 17. This is the, the Lord's high priestly prayer for his people, starting with verse 22. This is Christ praying, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. There's that unity. Same goals, same working progress and the same agenda Working for salvation, we are to we are we are one. We want them to be with us as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, 
even as you have loved me. You know, folks, I want to tell you tonight, the world sees how the church operates. And when we operate in dysfunctional manners and disunity, the world says they're no different than us. But when we operate in unity of love for one another and caring for one another and praying for one another and on the same agenda, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news that salvation is found in one place and one place only, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit brings life and God the father sent the son and the son was willing to come. And before the foundations of the earth, those plans were made in unity together to save you and I. When the church operates under that kind of unity, the world says, What's going on over there? And I think people long to be a part of that. Maybe they don't understand it, but we have the opportunity to not only tell them, but to show them what that looks like. That people who love Jesus love one another. It's just the bottom line. We love one another. And he says, the Father and I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, although the world does not know you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. There is that togetherness. That unity in the spirit of love for one another and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. A love that starts here and a love that continues here amongst his people. That's that unity that should exist in the church today. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's, he's talking about that all through these first three chapters. And we're going to see in these last verses, he kind of brings those things together. And this, this working in unity. And he wants to remind them. In fact, he's going to say as we begin tonight, do you not know? You know, he says that, that way six times here. He doesn't use that phrase anywhere else. Usually it's something like, uh, so, you know, I know that you know. Or, but here he says, do you not know? In other words, you've heard this. Do you not remember it? So he's going to talk about that. But he's going to talk about, again, this, this division. And he wants them to, I think there's some really good things here for us today and teaching on this unity and just being reminded of all that God has done. Because Paul has said throughout these first three chapters, he says, we preach Christ crucified. Chapter 1, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He's talked about wisdom of God a lot. Talked about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom that is from God. And we want to know that wisdom from God. And he says, I've determined in chapter 2, I've determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's the focal point. There's the starting point, folks. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? If you have not, start there. That not only puts you into the family of God, that puts you into eternal life and in heaven one day. And that begins today when you trust him. That eternal life starts today. You have a new life in Christ today. That will never fade away. That will never be gone. Because what? Because we've worked for it? No, because God promised. Because by the word of God, you're saved. And by his power, you're brought back to life. And by belief and faith and trust in him, you have a new life and beginning in him and him alone. There is no other way. Pastor Bill just read that. Jesus said, I am the way. 
He didn't say, I am one of the ways. The world will tell you that. There's a lot of ways. He said, I am the way. I am the life. And so it's not many ways. There's one way. Um, He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message that I was preaching was not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. We're going to talk about the spirit in a minute. There's the spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Working in three, in unity together for you and I's salvation. And there's some important things here at the end of chapter 3 that he wants to tell us. And I think they're just astounding things that he wants to tell us about the spirit and about how to think and how to how that we really know these things and just to live this way according to the truth of God's word, not the wisdom of the world. Um, so working in unity, the three in one. And, and our, the propositional statement that I wanted to, that I looked at this past um, three weeks is this. In Christ, you and I are given three important gifts. Fellowship, wisdom, and possession. And we're going to look at those three things. Fellowship, wisdom, and possession. He's already talked a little bit about that there in chapter 2. He says, things which I have not uh, seen and ear have not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You know, it's not talking about heaven particularly there. It's talking about, he's been talking about wisdom and understanding. God has brought to you and I And to our mind and our heart, an understanding and a receiving of the gospel that would, in our own thinking, be foolishness. It makes no sense that the king would come and die for us. It makes no sense that God, who does not need us, would save us. But he chooses to do that. And when we have that understanding, it isn't something that we've figured out. It isn't something that we have come to an understanding on our own studies from. It's something that God's Spirit reveals to us and quickens us to life in Him. It's just an amazing thing that God does for us that He didn't have to do. I hope you're awed by that. I hope you're in wonder of that, of that unity of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and they're working in unity to save people like you and me, to save us and give us these three great gifts, fellowship, wisdom, and possession. And we'll look at those three things. Let's read our passage tonight. I've done enough of that introduction stuff, um, and when, but I want us to think about those things. We'll begin with verse 16 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He's already said just before this that we want to work for the right reasons and the right motives. We want to build upon the right foundation. That foundation that is the cornerstone is Christ. The apostles built upon that foundation. They were called men, special men that were given special revelation. And they were men given to the church. The church wasn't given to them. They were given to the church. And then they built upon that cornerstone that was Christ. And then you and I are each as we're saved, being built into that holy temple, that, that dwelling place, that church, that building that God himself is erecting together, you and I are part of that. We're a brick in that. And we each have a part. We each have a place in the, in the church of God, in unity together, that God himself is building. That's another amazing thing. You know, we sometimes think, you know, look what I did. You know where you see that all the time? On the football or baseball field. 
Look what I did. I just caught that pass. Look what I did. I just did this and that. We have no reason to pound our chest or to be prideful of anything. We did nothing, but God has done it all for us. So he's been talking about building with gold and silver and and precious jewels. And those things are with the right motive in love for one another, caring for one another, being honoring to God, having that right motive that I am here because God has called me to be here and God is at work in me and through me. And it's all of God. And he will bring this to completion. And we build on those truths. And build on that motive that this is for God's glory and for God's honor. So he says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Don't miss that fact. The Holy Spirit has been given to you and I when we receive Christ as our Savior. And that he dwells within us means he takes up residence. He tabernacles within us. The Spirit lives within us. And the Spirit is given to us. Jesus said, when the disciples said, you know, we don't want you to leave. You should stay with us. We want you here with us. This is where, this is our happy place with you, Jesus. And he said, it's advantageous that I go. Because if I don't go, then the Spirit won't come. And the Spirit will come and he will indwell you. And he will bring to mind and he will lead you into truth and understanding. So it's advantageous because that's his part. I've done my part. And the Father and the Son and the Spirit work together in unity to bring about salvation. He said, it's great that I go because the Spirit's going to come and that's going to be better. And he's going to do his part to lead you into sanctification and lead you into understanding of Scripture. Lead you when you don't know how to pray, to pray. And help you on your Christian walk, on your walk with Jesus every day. So, he says, do you not know? Do you not know? That, that you are dwelt by the, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that? And he wants them to understand that. Um, wants them to understand that, that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the Spirit lives within them, has taken up residence within them. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. You are holy, declared, justified in Christ. Understand that we aren't always going to be holy or be perfectly righteous, but God has declared us to be so. That is our position. Many times our practice doesn't follow through with that, but God has declared us to be holy. And here's a warning too, either either from outside the church or from within the church, those that seek to destroy, and that word destroy in the Greek means to bring to a worse state than it is, to fight against God's plan, to undermine God's people. It can come from within the church. It can come from without. But there's a warning. God will grow and protect. And he is zealous for his church, for his people. And the people of God's spirit, the spirit of God dwells within them. And they are declared holy by God. And God is is jealous for his church. So a warning is given here by the Apostle Paul that... Anyone that fights against God and fights against the temple of God, the the indwelt people of God, by the Spirit of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So a reminder that we have been made holy, that this Spirit that dwells within us has taken up residence and will not leave, will not leave us or forsake us. And this fellowship, this relationship we have should be intimate, it should be close, it should grow 
It is led by the Spirit in, in, in life, in prayer, in understanding of God's Word. We are taught, we are filled, we are to be being filled by the Spirit. We are to be walking close to God. Psalm seventy three twenty eight says, here's my good place, here's my happy place, close to God. Here's where I live, close to Him, by the Spirit who indwells me. So the Spirit of God gives us that intimate fellowship with God. Do you need to work on your fellowship with God tonight? I'll tell you how you do that. You just, it's just as simple as this. We tell, I tell kids all the time this. When I, I've led several to the Lord over the years, and I will talk to them about their beginning walk with God, that they have this friendship with God, this, this closeness with God. And I'll say, do you have a good friend? Do you have a best friend? Oh, yeah, I got my best buddy, Johnny. He's my best pal. I said, how, how do you, how has he become your best friend? What makes him your best friend? He says, we hang out and do all kinds of stuff together. You know, it sounds kind of simple and I don't want to sound trite, but do you hang out with God a lot? Do you just spend time with him? Where's your, where's your place where you do? If you don't have a place, find a place. In prayer, just, you know, God doesn't want to hear repetitious prayers or rote prayers. He wants to hear from your heart. He wants to hear what's on your heart because he cares for you, because you are his possession. He has paid a great price for you. Walk close to him. We should have that intimate fellowship with God because the spirit is within us and takes us along in prayer, in, in Bible study, in illumination of the scriptures. We can go to God's word and hear what God's saying to us directly from this. Here's where he speaks to us. Here's where we have fellowship with him. And those who attack God from the outside or inside, God will jealously defend and fight for his church and will protect his church. And it will not fail. In fact, we're told not even the gates of hell will prevail against God's church. He loves it that much. And you and I are part of that body, part of that building together. If any man destroys the temple of God or brings it to ruin, God will destroy him. And so then it says in verse 18, we want to get to this uh, understanding and intelligence or this wisdom. It says, let no man deceive himself. And, you know, that deceive himself means to just think more of yourself and just think wrongly, not think scripturally, not think according to God's word and God's truth. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age. And you know that, that statement there, that he's wise in this age, could basically, basically be interpreted, any man thinks he's wise in the flesh. And don't we think we're that sometimes? I can do this on my own. I've got this. You hear it in statements like when there's tragedy and stuff. You know, I, I see this all the time on... on TV. In fact, we, I just saw it this week. And I know there's been some devastation in Maui. And it's been a terrible thing. And there's been hurricanes. And you know what you'll see? You won't see slogans like, let us call upon the name of the Lord for strength and help. It's, we're Maui strong. Or we're New York City strong. We'll take care of this ourselves. Let no man deceive himself. That God is at work in, in our lives and no man is strong in the flesh or can bring about salvation for himself in the flesh. Don't be deceived by that. Don't be deceived by your own mind and your own understanding to by the flesh. Uh, he must become foolish 
so that he may become wise. He must become foolish so that he may become wise. You know what that simply says? We must empty ourselves. We must renounce. We must renounce our own righteousness. Oh, I'm good enough to get to heaven. Oh, I've done a lot of great things. Surely God will accept me. I have not, I've not murdered anybody. I have not stolen anything that I can remember. We need to renounce our own righteousness. And we need to renounce our own strength. Because when we are weak, the Bible tells us, then we are strong. And we are not strong in the flesh, not strong enough to get to heaven, not strong enough to save ourselves. We need to renounce our own righteousness, our own good works. We need to empty ourselves of believing and deceiving ourselves that I am good enough or that I am strong enough to get to heaven on my own. Because the truth is, none of us are. We need also to renounce our own wisdom and understanding. He quotes a couple of places here in the Old uh, in the Old Testament, from Job chapter 5, verse 13, and Psalm 94, 11, and he says, um, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. You know why God can catch us in our craftiness? Because God already saw it coming way before it happened. He's sovereign over all things. He knows, our, he knows our beginning. He knows our end. He knows all about us. He knows the words that are on our mouth before they're in our mouth. He knows all of those things. We aren't going to fool God. Many people think they can, but we need to renounce these things and say, I am not wise because God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, here he quotes from Psalm 94. The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are what? Useless. Many people think, I can get to heaven on my own. Some do it through baptism. Think if I just get baptized, I'll be okay. And then I can go on and live my life. If I can just figure this out on my own and figure out a plan on my own, it will be good enough. It's a good plan. Many people write books. How to have the best life now and and how to have a wonderful, uh, happy life and get there. And they lead people astray. Those are man's wisdoms and man's foolishness. And God says, these things are what? He doesn't say they aren't really, you need a lot of those. He says they are useless. Useless in every way. So this intelligence is just this absolute truth, this wisdom revealed from God. In the knowledge of the holy, that knowledge has come to us from God alone. He has enlightened us to receive not only the truth, but to trust it completely. God does the work in hearts and the spirit quickens us to life. And we are changed from the inside out. That's the that's the whole difference of the world's idea of salvation. We want to we want to change the outside first. And only God operates on hearts and puts a new one in. Only God does that. Only God can do that. I was, I was reading the other day something, I think it was from um, Spurgeon Books. And he said, he's talking about that God writes uh, these things on the inside. And, you know, we, we take a tree, you know, I've never done this, but you take a tree and like oak tree, I could run out to the woods, find a big old oak tree, and I could carve a heart in it and put Helen and Boyle forever. How special. But you know what I can't do? I could never carve that on the inside of that tree. Only God could do that. 
Only God works from the inside out. Only God changes us from our heart where it needs to be changed and brought back to life. This intelligence, this, this wisdom from God isn't something that we figure out. It isn't something that we have come to understand on our own. Man's wisdom is pride and selfishness and sin, and it leads away from God. When the word of God is ignored and substituted for something else, um, there's only strife and disunity and, and trouble. And, and these things come about because they have ignored the word of God. That's why I'm so thankful. This church stands upon the inerrant, absolute truth of the Word of God. There's not a lot of churches that do that today, that read the Scriptures publicly. It's important. It's important that we read it at home, but it's equally important that we gather together around God's Word and read it and sit under it and are washed by it. The Word of God. The written word of God, alive and active, able to change us, able to grow us, able to enlighten us to more truth and more sanctification in our lives, moving closer to God, not away from God. So when the word of God is ignored or substituted for something else, I'm from Apollos, I'm from Cephas, I'm from Paul. Here's where we go. We go back to the word of God, to the foundation, to the truth that's eternal that is God's revelation to us. We don't fight against it. We receive it. To do the other is to, to be foolish. God knows man's thoughts. God knows man's hearts. And they are looking crafty, but God catches them in their craftiness. And they look wise, but God says they're useless. They're useless. The real power is in the gospel. In fact, Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 1. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it is what? Is the power of God for salvation in the word of God. The power of God for salvation. There is wisdom receiving. Not that we have figured it out ourselves, but God has brought that to us. I hope that you're thankful every day. Thankful every day to the Lord that he has enlightened your mind to the truth of his word. And that you have received that salvation That is a gift from God to you and that the spirit indwells you. And then he goes on to say in verse 21. So then let no one boast in men. No one should boast in men for all things belong to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, they weren't the church wasn't given to them. They were given to the church as gifted teachers to work together for the sanctification of the saints that are in the church to work together to grow them and to reach other people. He says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, it doesn't matter. They are given or the world. You know that it talks about in Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 13, that we will inherit the earth, that we are given the world. We are given that as heirs with Christ, the world. You know, and, and as believers, we know because of the truth of God's word, where the world came from, why it's here and where it's going. And here's the truth from God's word. Oh, there's lots of things. There's a big bang theory. I believe in the big bang theory, by the way. God spoke a word and bang, it happened. That's the big bang theory. God spoke and it came into being. Oh, no, they, there was some amoeba somewhere that, no, God spoke a word and God alone brings life. 
We know where the world came from. We know why it's here and we know where it's going. And that in and of ourselves, we know from the truth of God's word where you and I came from, the life that we have and the purpose we have and the hope that we have. We know where we're going. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a foundation there that the world doesn't stand upon, that we can stand upon. So he says, the world, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas, the world or life, you know, in the midst of life, he says, you've, given, you've been given life eternal. He talks about that. But we've also been given life now to live. We've been given that eternal life today when we trust Christ as our Savior. And this life that we live circumstances and trials and tribulations don't overwhelm us because we know the life that we've been given. And no matter what happens here, it doesn't change our position in Christ. We've been given life, life eternal today. And we will live forever with him one day because that, what he, that's what he has promised. And Or death, and death no longer has dominion over you. Hebrews chapter 2, Christ came and he offered himself by suffering on the cross. And he says that he had to be made like us, like man himself in every way and yet without sin. And then he became that perfect substitute, that propitiation for you and I. Why? To defeat death for us. And we no longer fear death. For the believer, death is only a, an entrance into, entrance into heaven. Paul said that for me to live is, is wonderful, but to die is what? Gain, because that's when I pass through the door, which is, is, is Christ into heaven forever. Death has no more weight over me. We've trusted Christ as our Savior and we believe in him. And so he says, you've been given all things in the world, in, in life and in death. All of these things are yours in Christ. Remember, don't you know these things? He might say again, for all these things belong to you. Things present, we live in the present and we serve him in the present. And things to come, we know the future. All things belong to you. You know, there's a simple thing that I wrote in my Bible when I read that. It says, we keep our eyes on him who purchased us. It's just a simple, let's just bring it, boil it down. We keep our eyes on him who purchased us for his own possession. And he just read it. Pastor Bill read that in chapter 14 of John, I'll come again and take you to be with me. And so does the present overwhelm us? No. Does death overwhelm us? No. We should grieve. We can grieve, but not like the world grieves. It says in Thessalonians, we grieve as believers, knowing we have a hope that's fixed and sure. All things are ours and all things belong to us. And you belong to Christ. That's just a great summary statement. And you belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. You are his. And what did Jesus say? You've given these to me, Father, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. They are safe with me. You belong to Jesus. I hope you believe that tonight. And I hope you live that way. And Christ belongs to God. And Christ is the head of the church. We have this common bond of salvation in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ and we belong to him and we are part of that church. There should be no division in the church. There should be no infighting or envy. 
You belong to Christ. Three things, and just quickly, I want to apply these three things. Uh, the fellowship and the wisdom and the um, possession. Uh, we belong to Christ. Uh, number one, fellowship. Fellowship now. Through his word, through his spirit, through prayer, through fellowship, then and through his power in the resurrection and presence one day. Fellowship now and fellowship forever in his presence face to face, away from the presence of sin. And we fellowship with him now through the spirit and through his word and through prayer. One day through the power of the resurrection and in his presence forever. Wisdom. True wisdom, you have received illumination into the truth of the mystery of the gospel of God's plan of salvation. This gospel you have believed and your desire is to submit to it, to renounce your own worth and trust completely in Christ. Renounce your own righteousness. Renounce your own strength. Renounce your own wisdom and trust completely in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished for you. And you have this great inheritance, this great inheritance in heaven. Um, You know, I know there's a dwelling place for us. I know there's a a home in heaven that God's preparing. But I think I think whatever's there. Whatever, whatever could be there and it'll be grand, it'll be wonderful. We'll pair, we'll, 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 we'll be pale in comparison to the face of Christ. I don't, I don't know how long we'll stare at him in his glory and wonder at what he's done for us. An inheritance we have, and it's Christ. You, it says you belong to Christ. We are, his, we are his possession, more valued than all other things, imperishable. Now we are that, and it will be revealed in full in him one day when he returns, or we go to be with him, because death is that portal, that door that brings us home. So don't fear those things. Trust the wisdom and the, and the truth of God's word, and don't infight. Work in unity together for the salvation of the lost and the sanctification of the saints that are around you and the growth of the church of God. Don't fight against it because God is jealous and zealous over that building of his own. Paul says, do you not know? Do you not know these things? We should, according to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the strength you give us and for the... The word that we have before us, thank you for the wisdom that's not our own, that's from you. Um, thank you for each of the folks here tonight and those that are on the airwaves. If there's one that has not received that salvation and understanding of the mystery of the gospel, salvation through a crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, but not dead, buried, and now alive and resurrected, and all those who trust in him and receive that gift of salvation and fellowship and understanding and have an inheritance that will not fade away, imperishable forever. Lord, if there's one either here tonight or over the airwaves, may tonight be that night that they receive the salvation that is forever in you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us and all that you 
done for us in the past, and we look forward to all that you will accomplish in and through us in the future. Uh, we love you. In Christ's name, amen.